Hey listeners, David Avalone here with a public service announcement. Given the choices made recently by the top brass at Spotify, we have no choice but to remove this podcast from that service for now. It's a time-consuming process, but if you listen through Spotify, it's likely this will be the last episode on their platform. The good news is we're available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and directly from the Pendant Audio website. All free, all easy to access, and so much better than drinking your own pee. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Screenwriter, maniac, Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and Suicide Jockeys, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... David Avalone, film guy, comic book writer, uh, podcast, coffee drinker. Nice. I'm still uh, I'm still getting used to the transition of, uh, you know, having removed the ad from the opening. Uh, I don't know what to say anymore. So if you're out there and you're listening, uh, at me uh, via Twitter... Tell me how I should uh, fill that little space up front. Um, I could scream. A lot of people like it. Uh, some people don't. So help me out. Anyway, uh, if you missed any of our previous conversations, uh, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many more, uh, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, uh, Stitcher. Uh, I'm skipping one purposely. And other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it all out. Uh, great show for you today, as uh, always. Uh, Avalone, why don't we just uh, dive in and, and bring Indeed. our guests on? about this one. Here we present uh, Mr. Gene Ching and Charlie Stickney. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, guys. Uh, Gene, start off and uh, tell the kids a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Gene Ching, and I am the action choreographer for Immortal Studios series The Adept. I'm also the publisher of KungFuMagazine.com which formerly was Kung Fu Tai Chi, a uh, print magazine that unfortunately collapsed during the pandemic. I'm a staff writer for uh, YMAA Publication Center, which specializes in martial arts uh, books and videos. Uh, I'm also a writer for Den of Geek, pop culture website, and uh, I'm a 32nd generation uh, disciple, layman disciple of the original Shaolin Temple in China. That's wow. my first time. Awesome. That's a, that is a good that is a good start. I am Those the are some disciple of uh, of sculptors out of of Naples, and I haven't sculpted in about thirty years. Uh, Charlie, hey, how's it going? Um, so I am Charlie Stickney. I'm the co-writer of the Adept, along with Tasha Hu, and uh, I am also co-publisher over at Scout Comics. Uh, I like to add co to a lot of my different titles. Um, I wish I could say I was a co-Shaolin disciple, um, but unfortunately, <laughs> I am nowhere near as dangerous as Gene, um, at least in my own mind. Uh, but I'm also, I've worked uh, as a producer, as a writer of animation and uh, feature films and many other things. Um, but I am mostly a comic writer right now and a comic lover and uh, glad to be on the show with you guys today. Great. Excellent. Well, I, you know, maybe the best place to start is how did this project come about and how did uh, Gene 
Gene, how did you get involved in this project? How did I get involved in this project? Well, um, I'm a good friend of Peter Shaw, who's the founder of Immortal Studios. And Peter Shaw uh, has a long-standing history with Shaolin Temple. Um, he uh, uh, worked very closely with the Abbot and produced uh, uh, the Shaolin Summit, which was held in, in Southern California in LA um, in 2011. And he brought the Abbot over and had this big, uh, it was a gathering of masters and monks and enthusiasts uh, from all over the world. And it actually set the model for what would become uh, the Shaolin uh, uh, cultural meetings, which started happening all around the world that was sponsored by the temple. And those kind of went until the pandemic kind of shut us down. There were a biannual event that happened all over the world. Um, but Peter uh, was the per first person to, to get that going. And so we've had a relationship uh, since that, this, from this connection to uh, Shaolin Temple. And when he had first pitched this project to me, you know, I get pitched by a lot of um, comic uh, uh, enthusiasts saying, you know, they want me to do something with them and get some involvement. But um, Peter had a, a, a very unique take on what he wanted to achieve with this particular comic. And uh, once he kind of, once he, once he gave me that, that pitch, I, I was all in. It was really exciting to work with. Let me, uh, let, let, let me interject right here before you continue, Gene, not to interrupt, but we were talking about the adept. Uh, issue two is available currently on Kickstarter. You go over to kickstarter.com, search for the adept. Issue two is uh, issue one was a smash hit on Kickstarter. It's one of my favorite comic uh, uh, Kickstarter comic books ever. I loved it so much that I, uh, I, 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 I became Peter's friend and I was hired to write the, uh, the spinoff. That's how much I love the book. <laughs> um, so we are huge fans of the book here. So going over to Kickstarter, checking out the adept. Uh, I wanted to make sure that we got that out right at the beginning. Yeah. So, so sorry to interrupt you, Gene, but it's available. Go grab it. And it's awesome. Go ahead, Gene. Sorry. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, one of the things you need to understand about Peter Shao is he comes, his father was Shao Yi, who was a, a dominant writer in the Wuxia genre. Uh, sort of the one, five, one of the five tigers of wuxia. So wuxia, wuxia is a form of literature and film that focuses on Chinese martial arts. It literally means like martial hero or martial knight. And mm -hmm. so when you think of like Crouching Tiger or all the old Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies that were period, even a lot of the modern ones, uh, the Golden Harvest stuff, those are all fall under wuxia. But there's actually a very large contingent of novels uh, akin to our, like our old sci-fi pulp novels and comics that were produced uh, in, in China, uh, predominantly Hong Kong, actually, probably Southern China, um, from uh, the, the, the turn of the century, last mm. century onwards. And so there's a huge chunk of literature uh, that has an incre incredible influence on Asian culture and has been retold in not just through, through Chinese, but also through uh, other... Uh, like Japanese have taken these stories and, you know, of course the, 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 the impact of martial arts movies is Kung Fu movies is, is overwhelming. And what Peter's trying to do with this is not only uh, give his father some base and bring some of his father's original stories over, uh, but then also updating the genre and bringing it even a much more modern sensibility uh, because it sort of addresses a lot of things that, uh, are, that are issues today. It's time is, stuff. is the adept set in the present day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's funny, my you know, I 
I, uh, I grew up seeing some of this stuff, but in college, I had a good friend named Wei Yin, who was a, a survivor of and escapee from the Cultural Revolution. And I don't know how he found a local TV station in upstate New York that showed Chinese movies on Saturdays. But every Saturday, he would wake up early and go to the dorm common room and start a day of Chinese wuxia movies, uh, poorly dubbed, of course, because, you know, the 80s. But uh, I watched them with them, and I thought they, they were such such fantastic films and so exciting and such, an you know, was such so uh, alien to my experience. Uh, and yet you can see there's almost no way to make an action movie in the 21st century without having, being influenced by that. Even if your cast is a hundred white people, they will still be doing some form of martial arts. Uh, even if it's, you know, even if it's completely beside the point, um, it, well, it's, it, 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 it's, it's even bigger than that. It's, um, it, it really, it went a long way in terms of establishing what we now call the hero's journey. Right. Um, uh, uh, Star Wars is a, is a wuxia movie, you know, in, in almost every way. Um, and so the, 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 the structure, the epic nature of the storytelling, uh, is just echoed in everything now. And then, and then of course the, uh, you know, the, the fighting, the martial arts, the, uh, um, you know, the, the, the way mysticism is addressed and, uh, and spirituality and all of these things. Um, you know, I think, uh, it was weird. It was, you know, uh, way back when we had the best version of it and, and, and we've, we've been trying to replicate it over and over again, uh, uh, since then. And sometimes we hit it right on the head, uh, and, and knock it out of the park and, you know, very uh, too often, uh, uh, we kind of fall flat on our faces doing it. But, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, what is but, the force, but chi, right? I was going to say, chi for Westerners, uh, and called yeah. it something else. Uh, Though, you know, we can argue that Jack Kirby might have gotten there first with the source. Uh, <laughs> and which one was George Lucas more familiar with? Chi or Jack Kirby's version of Chi? But uh, how, so Charlie, let's bring, how did you uh, get connected to this uh, project? Well, I, I think one of the things was um, Peter was looking for the best way to bring these stories to a, an audience everywhere. And, um, you know, the buzzword or, or the mantra or the guiding force for him at the time, I think, was was authenticity. He wanted to make sure he was bringing the authentic version of these stories to an audience and, and doing it honestly. And um, as, as he was looking at the comic book landscape, uh, one of the things that was just emerging uh, was, was Kickstarter as this you know, place where you could go and bring your vision directly to consumers, right? Um, in a way where you're sort of, rather than having to pair up with a publisher, because as we all know, when, when you work with other people, the more people that you work with that are companies that are producing your product, the more notes you get, the more different iterations you're going to go through. And sometimes it's really hard to um, maintain that purity of vision, right? So I think, you know, Peter was looking at this as um, here's this new landscape and here's this, these stories, these old stories that I want to bring. And here's this new distribution model that, um, you know, has just taken things by storm and it's become legitimate because for a long time, Kickstarter was, 
know, kind of the Wild West, is it a place that real independent people can go to bring comics or is it just the comics that can't make it at publishers? And, you know, around this time I had done uh, White Ash on Kickstarter. It had become um, pretty successful on that platform. And there, there were a lot of other books that were starting to make it a place like this is where you can go to make great comics. And so Kick, uh, Peter was, was surveying the landscape to try to get a sense of it, say, you know, is this where I want to launch the Adept? Do I want to go straight to the direct market? How do I want to do this? And uh, he came to L.A. Comic-Con and he saw me in a panel talking. It was, um, yeah, it, it was actually think, one of my panels that Avalonia was also on. So, so, so small world, uh, yeah. but yes, continue. Yeah. And, and like, so I was on, I was on that panel uh, and then I was on another one right afterwards um, with Jason Inman and which was also on like kickstarting. And they're like, yes. Hey, you were on two Kickstarter panels. Let's talk to you. <laughs> um, so, so, so thank you guys for, uh, you know, putting me on that panel and making me look like I knew what I was doing. Um, but, but no. so I, I had a conversation with Peter about how it was that place where you could bring your purity division and you could start building a grassroots following for something. And I think that's what he was looking to do. He was looking to establish a new brand, build a grassroots following. And so we had a lot of discussions about, you know, what that would entail about bringing this world. And it was not, we're looking to do the adept. It's like, I'm looking to build this world, this interconnected, you know, wuxia universe of different characters. And, and here they are. Um, but I've never worked in comics before. And I need, I, I need some people to help me build this empire. Um, so, so I was one of the first people who came in to sort of help him define, you know, what was going to be the flagship title, the first book that we put out called the adept. Um, and, and, and so, you know, he and I started having a conversation about what's the best way to do this. Um, because we also wanted it to be about this young Asian American woman, Amy and her journey. But, you know, we're going back to you know, it being authentic. And he wanted to bring in Gene to choreograph it to make sure that all the moves that were there were authentic, um, you, know, to, you know, real moves that, you know, just something that an artist is making up and make sure that it was a team. And, I was, you know, and so we came around on creating a writing team on it and bringing in, um, you know, a, a woman to co-write with me because we would, you know, preferably an Asian woman, preferably an Asian American woman to try to again, bring in a level of authenticity to this book. Um, because there's enough of us, you know, guys that look like me writing comics. Um, and, you know, for this particular story, I wanted to make sure again, as it was going to be the first one out that it felt really authentic. So um, what we ended up doing was interviewing a lot of, writers. We uh, took meetings with different writers to try to find someone who would be the right fit from for this book. And then Tasha walked into the art office and my goodness, I mean, from that point to where she is now, um, I mean, she's right now, Tasha is couldn't join us today because she's too busy um, working on the Laura Croft animated series as the showrunner there. So like, so this is the caliber of a person that um, I get the pleasure to work with. I mean, she's an amazing writer and it's great because she makes everything I do better um, by a lot. And, and, and so it's, it's really nice to, um, but when I met her, I knew immediately this is the person that we wanted to work with. And so then we began building the adept together um, and working together to build this story. But it all goes back to, I met Peter at Los Angeles Comic-Con on a Kickstarter panel and, and, and the, um, the guiding mindset from the beginning is let's do something authentic that shows the hero within, um, you know, that, that brings that out 
that um, is about building a company that um, lives up to the ideals of its character. So I think like that's also like part of the whole mindset for Immortal Studios and um, you know the universe they're creating. It's, it's really interesting that both of you went right to Peter because he has this kind of interesting, very dynamic, you know, force of nature. Um, full disclosure, uh, and 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 I, I can't remember now if I mentioned it off camera or or on camera. Um, I, I am I, I'm writing the the spinoff book of, of the adept called Fa Sheng, uh, which is a, a wuxia story that takes place during the Boxer Rebellion. Um, and so I got to know Peter. Uh, you know, sort of like you guys fell in creative love with Peter. Um, but he is such an interesting guy and he does have this kind of, you know, vision is the right word for it, but but he's still finding it and he's finding it through the people he kind of hires and brings on, I think. And, um, you know, it's always been the mark of a good leader to me is, uh, you know, somebody that hires well, you know, somebody who uh, who, who finds the right people uh, and then puts them in a position to succeed. And if if Peter has one superpower, Peter may have three, four, or five superpowers, but probably his biggest and best superpower uh, is finding these larger than life, you know, uh, you know, people who are badasses uh, at the thing that they do. Um, and and in fact, you know, finding people like Tasha before they 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 fully become themselves, right? Uh, uh, just seeing that in people um, and then connecting with people, right? It was like, um, uh, I think um, I think Peter and I, you know, we recognize something in each other immediately. You know, I, I, I'm one, one of the weird lines of my bio is that I'm, I'm an ordained Soto Zen Buddhist monk. Um, and, uh, and so Peter and I spent a really long time talking before we ever really entertain the idea of getting into business together or, or, or anything like that. It was just like, it was talking about a philosophy of life and an approach to, you know, our creative lives and our family lives and all of that thing all filtered through, you know, for him, it was, it was Shaolin for me, it was Soto Zen uh, out of Japan. Um, but there were a lot of similarities and a lot of interesting differences. And, and I think that we, we approached life in a similar way. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's, Kind of what you're saying, Charlie. I mean, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but 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 the idea that this was, um, I don't know, this is like a movement. This is this is about a, a a philosophy of creativity and a philosophy of 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 business more than it was. Okay, here's a comic book. You know, we want it to be about kung fu. Go off and write something where people are kicking each other and stuff like that. It was it was it, it was more than that, right? Um, uh, you know, it, it was it, it, it was about an approach to life, an approach to your creative lives and uh, what comics can be and should be and how comics are changing and all of these things. And I think that we're still all finding this stuff together, of course, you know, with, 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 with Peter leading the charge. And that's, what's exciting about this whole endeavor to me. Well, and I think, I think, you know, to speak to that, um, just how this is different because, you know, I mean, like, we've all worked in comics and um, well, yeah, so we all worked in comics, but it's, it's a very, Comics is not a field where there's necessarily um, a way it's always done. It kind of varies from writer to writer. But even within those variations, it's, it's, there's usually like some parameters. You could say your, your, your range was from here to here um, in terms of how it played out. I don't know if, if you know, David, in, in your experience, you ever started off a call with someone at Dynamite where they said, all right, we're going to open the meeting with um, two minutes of silent meditation. 
<laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, 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 this is, we're all going to meditate together as a group to, um, you know, have mind synergy before we start talking about things and centered ourselves and let things go. So like, so when I say that this was a different process and a different experience, it was, it, it was, you know, this, this is something different. Um, obviously at the end of the day, you get back to the nuts and bolts of writing and how that's going to work. Um, but even in that it's been different because we've kind of been running this like a writer's room, uh, on a TV show. And then you have different people like Gene coming in to choreograph the action. Um, so like all these different people working together to build a product in a way that I had not done in other comics before. I should mention that, you know, you, you said that we're all in comics and this is my first venture into comics. <laughs> my whole background is in not in fiction you know it's in in reporting and documenting uh martial arts authentically of which of course spills over to fiction because there's so much mythology and so much cultural baggage for lack of a better term that is is imbued in, in the martial arts across the board um but i mean I think to, to address the, the, that aspect that's the ton of it or what you would call zen um that, that that's a key element into Shaolin, right? So in Shaolin, we say we have three treasures, the Tan, the Wu, and the Yi. The Tan is the Zen, because Shaolin Temple is the founding place, the cradle of, of Zen Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Zen and Chan are the same character, just Chinese versus Japanese pronunciation. Uh, the Wu, Wu is Wuxia, is martial arts. And the Yi is um, medicine, is healing. And so that's a key element that, um, that Actually, when Peter was doing uh, the Shaolin summits, um, that was something that was really starting to come forward because people always think about Shaolin as, okay, yeah, the, the birthplace of Zen, that's significant. And of course, the martial arts, that's significant. But they, they keep forgetting the medicine of it. And so the, there's, a, um, there's an underlying uh, subtext that we're playing with that we're trying to incorporate. And it, that's very much the authentic spirit of what mm -hmm. we're doing you know, the healing of the nations, if you will, you know, trying to get out a, a positive message, um, one of redemption and healing, particularly the character of uh, Amy and her journey. I, I, yeah. It, I was just going to, we're, 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 we're about 20 minutes in and I, I know of our audience, if not maybe a hundred percent of our audience are people who are not just readers of comics, but makers of them and interested in process. And I, I wanted to, you know, sort of recap, you know, what have we learned so far? Go to conventions and talk to people. Go to panels and talk to people. Two, your collaborators are everything. Choose them well. Choose them to be contributory, to bring a thing that you can't bring. Uh, and three, you were just saying it, Gene, authenticity uh, you know, there's the old joke: if you can fake that, you're uh, you're home free. But uh, you know, the ultimate thing, I think, authenticity. I say I do a lot of historical stuff. Uh, a lot of my work is period work, and I research the hell out of things. And I was thrilled. I'm writing something right now that takes place in 1939, Coney Island, and I was thrilled to find out that the Italian American expression "mook." Uh, was in was current in 1939 so that I could put it in a character's mouth uh, and I always say this and I think it is true I don't believe anyone in the audience knows the 
derivation of the word MOOC or how long it's been used by people or whatever, but authenticity feels different to the viewer, to the reader. They know it, they don't know what it is, but they know what it is when they see it. And when they read something or see something that you have fully researched and you know what you're doing, the realness of it, the authenticity of it uh, is a whole mood, as the kids say. It's a whole vibe, and there's 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 sort of no getting around it. And uh, uh, I don't know where you were going to go, Ryland, but I was going to ask about process next. Yeah, well, we can get into process in a second. I did, just a comment on on some of the stuff you did you you said there. I mean, I think that um, you know, it's one of the things that. It's one of the things that makes our job as as writers, as creators, very interesting. Is that we find these worlds, we find these stories, we fall in love with them. Um, uh, uh, we find all these details that are incredible, these little wrinkles, right? And then we get to present it to the world in a very interesting way, in a nice little, easily digestible capsule, right? Um, uh, we did all the work for you. Here is this world that you don't know about, or you haven't seen from this angle. Um, you know, here's a take on a character you haven't seen. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm the, the, the story I'm writing for Immortal is a, a Wuxia thing that, that takes place during the Boxer Rebellion. And, um, you know, I knew about the Boxer Rebellion from history class. You know, I, I knew a thimble full, um, enough to know that it was interesting. Um, but then I spent a couple of months just, just digging through it you know, and finding this and finding that and falling in love with this actual character and that actual character. And, um, you know, the, the political intrigue that was happening makes Game of Thrones look like, you know, I don't know, Powder Puff Girls or something like that, you know? Um, uh, there, there was so much that we didn't know. And again, um, uh, the idea that I got to kind of grab all that, collect all that, and again, put it into an easily digestible capsule and, and kind of present it to the world. It, it was awesome. It was a gift. I mean, it's it, it's one of the things that we do. And so, um, yeah, I mean, if you love that, you know, th this might be the job for you. But, but, but you know, we were going, going to talk about collaboration. But um, what it strikes me, I mean, a lot of us come from the film business. And so I think that we're used to working this way. And I know Peter, you know, uh, Peter's worked in the film business also. Um, we are so used to a collaborative effort, right? I mean, I think that as creators, and again, addressing the creators who watch the show, um, we can too often get kind of stuck in this trap of, I mean, you know, I have this nice office. Um, I, I get paid to write for a living, so I can just sit in my cave and, and, and bang on a keyboard and do everything myself and not see anything outside and not interact with anybody. Um, if you find the right collaborators, uh, it can so raise the level of, of, of your projects. And it is about authenticity and, uh, and energy and all of these things. The idea, every comic book I've ever read, like uh, almost, you know, 99.9% .9 of the comic book have, they have fights in them, right? And the idea that everybody isn't using a fight choreographer, uh, 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 uh to some degree is kind of crazy to me. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't film a fight, a fight scene in a movie and not have a choreographer who is going to make it look incredible. Right. And so right, the idea that was, actually, <laughs> yeah, well, well I mean, there you go. Growing yeah. trend lately. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah, you know, I, I, I saw this, I started, um, you know, I started not too long ago working on a, a project with, uh, another fight, fight coordinator, Clayton Barber, who, um, 
has has been in the you know in the the movie fight game for forever, and he choreographed all the fights in Black Panther, and uh, uh, he was the the fight coordinator on Creed. You know that 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 one shot scene that, uh, that that everybody loves so much in Creed. Um, you listen to Michael B. Jordan on 100 podcasts, and he's like, oh yeah, Clayton Barber did all of that, right? Um, and and I had written action movies for a very long time, for like 12 plus years in Hollywood before I got hooked up with Clayton and we started working on this, this, this comic project together. And, um, and, and I had never, I, I never really fully, I, I didn't know how much I didn't know until I started working with Clayton. And, and, and I didn't realize how much he could bring to the table, a collaborator could bring to the table. And then you kind of get injected into the immortal sphere as a, as a writer and all of the people they bring on. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I know some, uh, and I'm researching like crazy, but the idea that there is this kind of staff at Immortal that I can go to and be like, okay, well, what is the historical significance of this? What is the correct armor that someone would be wearing, you know, in 1853 uh, uh, in this region of China uh, with this affiliation? Um, that's incredible. And the way that the, these things kind of get built, uh, uh, this, is, this is a team sport um and and the books are infinitely better for it and that's so interesting to me well yeah. and i think i mean a lot of us um you know a writing life you think of as a solitary life right where you're yeah. in, like you said you're in your head you're in your cave um when yeah. i was getting started in uh in writing feature films um for a while i had a writing partner and it was one of the best things that i did because my partner was much better at dialogue than I was, but I was much better at plotting than he was. Um, but by the end of our, you know, two years of working together, my my ability to write dialogue had come up, you know, a lot, and he had come up a lot in terms of how he could plot something out. And you know, we were looking to do different things, and we split up. But I learned more with working with a collaborator than, you know, all the years I had spent in, in film school learning about how to write a script um, and even like writing on my own, because it's, it's not until you have those conversations back and forth about, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you having this rhythm um, that you start thinking about your own work in, in a new light, in a new way, and you start challenging yourself to sort of rise to the level of the person you're working with because you don't want to let them down. And it causes you to grow in ways that I think um, you, you sometimes don't have the motivation to do. Um, so like, so I, I really think that there's a lot to be said for collaborating with the right person who can challenge you, who can raise the level of your game up to the point where you're learning new things about the way you write and reevaluating the ways that you structure things. Yeah, I can, I can say that in comics, I've worked with a few artists who have completely changed. I won't say completely changed, who have who have improved my writing of comics because they understood the form way better than I did. Right. And what, you know, I, when I started out coming from movies, I wrote very cinematic comics. I never had captions and David, we were talking about it once and David Costa, my most frequent artistic collaborator said, use captions, man, let comic comics have captions. Like let comics be comics. It doesn't have to be a movie where everything is something you would hear if you were watching it, use yeah. the form. Jump through exactly. time and space. Don't be afraid of it. You know, and that's the, but I want, I do, I definitely want to get to the actual nuts and bolts of how a choreographed fight scene in the adept comes to be. 
like in the room, sitting down, you know, what's the first step? How is the artist told what to draw? And how is, how are the moves explained? You know, uh, Gene, can you kick us off with that? Sure. So, of course, Charlie and Tasha put together the story and they position the fights. And within their concept of the fights, they have certain beats. Like, of course, just like a, a script of a movie is choreographed, where, okay, this is where, you know, Tasha's got to, I mean, Tasha, Amy's got to like kick somebody in the head or, you know, flip somebody over. And um, sometimes, you know, I mean, first of all, this has been a process, right? So the first issue was a lot of learning curve on how we could develop this dialogue. But um, our artists would rough out some ideas. Um, uh, Charlie and Tasha would give me some ideas on what they were looking at. And I would kind of look at that from um, uh, a lens of Shell and Kung Fu and impose on, okay, well, if they do this pose, it'll be like right out of this form. Um, or if they do this action, it'll be in, uh, akin to some traditional move. Now, now one of the things you got to really understand about Shaolin Kung Fu, um, there is at Shaolin Temple now a body of traditional teachings, a traditional curriculum. Um, mm -hmm. On top of that, because the monks perform a lot, they have what they call Biyansan, which are literally mean performance monks. And these are... Uh, people that have been indoctrinated, uh, have, they're technically by strict letter of the law, if you will, um, they're like me, layman disciples, but they don robes and they go and perform and they do uh, uh, live, there was live theater performances and that sort of thing. Um, now, most of them are, have studied modern wushu, which is the same style that Jet Li does, um, which is um, much more acrobatic and a sport. Mm -hmm. And for performance, uh, traditional kung fu, or particularly traditional Shaolin, doesn't necessarily look like a lot. There are certain distinctive moves, but um, it, it's not—it's uh, much more applicable. You aren't flying around as much as you'd want in a movie and such. Um, and for that matter, you know, to, to choreograph a scene—I mean, so I'm used to doing things in a martial arts magazine where I have multiple frames to explain a particular technique. Uh, within uh, the adept, I only have one or two frames to explain the action. So it's a lot of from looking at that and just tweaking things and, and pulling poses out. And, um, you know, we are extracting both from um, traditional uh, movements um, as well as some of the more modern theatrical movements. Uh, but it's all kind of within that childhood umbrella now. And fortunately, um, one of the, back, back in the... Uh, like early, the, the mid 90s, uh, Shaolin Temple celebrated its 1500th anniversary. And it was a big push kind of promotionally to help restore the temple, um, to, 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 to help it, it grow and more teachings, more schools to open and such. And one of the things they did, there was a particular photographer from the region, Song Shifan, who would do these coffee table books of. Uh, the monks and all these outrageous poses. Shaolin Temple's on Songshan, which is beautiful now, absolutely geological wonder to, to climb around. And uh, so they'd have these monks on these crazy cliffs doing these insane poses. And um, he did, I don't know, maybe a dozen of those coffee books, coffee table books. And then other companies saw what was going on and emulated that. So there are albums of, of, of Shaolin poses. 
that I can kind of, here's a picture, make it look akin to this. And I can send that back to the artist and, you know, working with, with Charlie and Tasha, um, we can find something that fits well. I was wondering about that. I was wondering if there was a lot of use of photo references to go, here's the platonic ideal of this pose. Here's the right. here's the thing I think we should draw to really hit that, you know, exactly right. Well, yeah, well, 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 with the magazine, you would actually bring practitioners in and just shoot them, you know, again, yeah. if you're explain, explaining a technique, you would break it down into steps and photograph right. it. It would end up in the magazine. Yeah, do you, is, do you do stuff like that? I mean, do you... Do you pull a friend in and say, no, hey, really, do this? Really friends, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. it would take like five cells to, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technique. It's more yeah, like yeah. trying to capture it in a single, single. Well, I also think like from a writing perspective, you know, if you're writing feature films, it's one thing because you're often writing things on spec. So you have to put all those beats in, right? You can't get, you can't just leave something that says fight scene happens here. Right. And yeah. then they you know, fight. Like, you yeah, can and then they fight. That. You can do that once you have the job. Right, right. Yeah. You can do it once you have the job. But, but in terms of like a lot of screenplay writing is on spec. Um, yeah. A lot of you know, and, and even if you're writing pilots for TVs, again, you have to kind of figure out what those beats, and you should always look at it as something narrative, right? Like any fight scene is still a narrative. It has to get across some kind of information. There has to be a story arc to your fight scene. Absolutely. Um, that said, when you're working in comics if your artist is good and you don't have Gene, right? You don't have Gene on board. You still want to leave them a lot of latitude in terms mm -hmm. of how they do that fight scene, because that's their job. Their job is to bring visual elements, to, you know, cohesion to the world. So when I'm working with Connor on white ash, I'll get to a point and I'll be like, Hey, there's a page fight scene and we're going to have a fight scene. Maybe this could happen. And it gets to be a little bit more of um, a, a loose breakdown of what's yeah. going to happen in that page. And then I let him play because he's got the visual choreography. One of the things that Gene said to us early on when I was talking with Taja, he's like, what's, what's the emotion of the scene, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's different moves that correspond, they'll be more fitting depending on what the emotion of the character is. Um, and, you know, and I, I feel remiss because we haven't mentioned Yishan. We've been saying the artist, but Yishan Lee, who we work with, she's incredible. Um, and, and so, you know, where we're at right now in terms of when we're writing, we do get to these scenes and we're adding some, um, some beats for, for narrative beats or some rough ideas. But then we often say it's like two pages. You know, we're going to pass that on to Gene to talk to, to Yishan, but we need to hit these beats in it. And so we leave it a little bit rough for, for them to, um, to play. In um, the third issue that we're you know, finalizing up right now, and this is going to be fun uh, for you, Gene, um, there's uh, Peter at once. So this is, again, going back to some of the um, fun bits that, that uh, you know, Peter brings to the table. Um, he said to us, uh, he, he was showing us like different footage, uh, footage from different films uh, for inspiration. And he showed us this amazing um, tea ceremony fight sequence um, where there's a fight sequence happening, but um, it's under the auspices of there's no fight sequence happening. These two people are, these two masters are sitting down for a tea ceremony, but this tea ceremony turns into a battle and testing wills as they're drinking tea. And the whole like gigantic choreography and action fight is played out under the auspices of there's nothing going on, but really it's a life and death battle 
while they're having tea. So, you know, we see something like that and we're going to, we're going to take that and we're going to try to transpose that into the comic. And then, you know, it'll be up to Gene to make sure that works. No pressure. Um, so, <laughs> but, uh, but like, you know, you know that's like, actually that's, easy in a way because right. there's such a long standing tradition of that in the movies. I mean, one of my favorite films, Dirty Ho, which kind of doesn't sound right now, but um, <laughs> that, that there's a wonderful <laughs> scene, just like you're describing where they're drinking wine and the two masters are fighting over the wine thing. And the student's like, what's going on? He's not even paying attention. But meanwhile, they're testing each other. So, right. And, and so like, there was definitely something to, um, to, try, to, to have those references given to you and have the resource that you can sort of say, hey, Gene, we're going to try to make this thing work and then have him work with Ishan to try to bring that to life, um, which is a luxury that most of us don't have uh, when we're making comics. But it's an amazing thing to be able to do with this project. Again, trying to be authentic to the genre, trying to be authentic to the form and make sure that that's all there. So when people read it, they understand that all this thought has gone into creating the world and the comic. Yeah, and it's it, it's it's such an interesting point because it's um, I mean, we are used to a certain kind of fight in in a comic book, right? I mean, you, you, you go to you know go to um uh, to Golden Apple Comics and you open up ten books, you're going to see the same fight in nine of them. You know, that's like if I see you know another another shot of somebody you know punching somebody like that or or whatever, I'm I, I'm, I'm I think I'm going to set the comic book on fire and. Um, the idea, you know, I just think, particularly if you're going to ask somebody to buy into a new book, a new experience, a new company, right? Like you better give them something that they haven't seen before that challenges them. That, um, and it's it's what is so interesting about, um, I mean, about the the films that we're talking about in general, because. Um, I mean, what you're talking about is like these guys are just having real life arguments, right? It's an argument that you might have with your brother or your friend, um, and you're not you're not putting them, I don't know, in a couple of chairs sitting across from each other, just exchanging words. It's right. No, th these guys are highly trained martial artists. And so if they were going to have an argument, you know, there might be some, you know, some slaps and kicks and punches uh, 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 thrown, you know, and, 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 you know, if you add a tea ceremony to the mix or whatever, suddenly this thing comes alive in a way that, um, that is, is very interesting and very challenging and very exciting. Right. I mean, it's, um, it is akin in a lot of ways to if you go to see a ballet. I mean, uh, uh, a, a good ballet just it, it incorporates everything you would love about Citizen Kane, right? I mean, this is a, a human story. It is about human interaction and people exchanging barbs and 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 affection and all these things. But it is translated into physical movement and uh, and, and 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 how these people are moving together or not moving together, or, or it, it, it's all, you know, that's the way you bring it to life. And the, and the idea, I mean, if you're not, if you are not doing that, that thinking that way, when you are writing a martial arts book, a wuxia book, then you're doing something wrong, right? right. Um, and, and it's, it, you know, it's what excites me about this book, about what Immortal is doing, is that I, I, I think that everybody is thinking in this way, and trying to push all of this stuff into corners that, you know, we haven't explored before. Well, well, and I also think certain, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, well, there lies a certain translation error in the term kung fu, right? We we think of kung fu as martial arts because it came over with the movies and Bruce Lee, but actually, kung fu doesn't mean that at all. There's no term in martial. Um, gong kind of means the term gong means work or something. You know, means work really. 
and mm. the foo is like it's like the, the character ren it's like a, a man with a, the character for man or for human with an extra set of arms extending to heaven so it's a it's sort of an ask of the divine of the sacred so it's often translated more literally as um you know a skill that has taken a lot of time and effort to, mm -hmm. to gain so in, in bringing it back to tea the tea ceremony in china chinese is called kung fu cha it's the same kung fu as martial arts kung fu because mm -hmm. when it's done properly you know when all the the rituals are observed and and the flavors properly presented out of the tea it is an expression of art um yeah, that's one of the reasons why we're going with wuxia because wu is a it's, that's more specific you know it's more um targeted to martial arts i mean now in the general vernacular in the global you know language is a virus so now yeah. we all call kung fu is martial arts right. but when you get to china's take on it it's like you say you could have good kung fu in the way you do ballet or the way you yeah. draw comics or write comics or the way you cook you know you do yeah and paint right. or whatever you know it's more it's of an extra well, it, 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 yeah, and I, you know, I think what I'm talking about, you know, more than anything, I, I mean, you hit it right on the head. It is a more universal, uh, you know, there's a more universal application. It is like, um, it is infusing your fight scene, your argument, what, what, whatever you're doing, your your dramatic moment with something bigger, badder, grander. You know what I'm saying? Um, we've seen sure. a million fight scenes on, on a street corner. If if you just simply take that fight scene and you put it on a construction site, it can it can come to life in ways that you know becomes very interesting, very challenging. You're going you're going to fight a different way on a construction site than you would in an ice cream shop, right? <laughs> uh, you know what, what are you using? How much space do you have? Uh, um, you, you know uh, um, this is you know this is the sort of thing I'm talking about, and so you know and and, and I think that. You know, I mean, what these books are doing is taking it a step further, and we're talking about uh, uh, it, it, and, and these things become infused with with philosophy and 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 and, and other meanings. Um, and I think yeah, that's and important. I, and and I do. I, I should, probably should say at this point because we didn't actually say what the adept is about. Um, <laughs> real quick, as, as to what the book Give is us about. Log line for forty-five minutes uh, in. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Know, it, it's, a, it's about a, a young woman in her early 20s who comes from a really screwed up childhood where she and her sister uh, ended up in foster homes and they've been apart for a long time and they've just, you know, come back together and they're trying to, to rebuild a relationship. But, you know, one of the reasons they were apart is, is Amy, this young woman who's in her early 20s, started having visions of this Kung Fu master coming to her in her dreams. And, you know, she wasn't sure if she was going crazy but these were violent dreams. These were things where she was being trained. You know, she hurt someone in one of the foster homes and she's like, I don't, I want to protect my sister. I need to go figure out what this is. Um, so she was off on her own, basically processing these dreams for years. And again, not sure if she was really being visited by these visions of this Kung Fu master or going insane. Um, and then the vision stopped and she felt safe to kind of return and try to rebuild a relationship with her sister. Uh, and, and so the first book basically opens as she's just, you know, in the early stages of um, rebuilding this relationship with her sister. And she's at this concert and all of a sudden there's some kind of terrorist or seemingly terrorist attack on the concert venue. And then the man from her dreams, the train, you know, the, the master from her dreams shows up on stage. And there's the, you know, there's, you know, am I crazy? There's the answer to it. Maybe this is something real. 
And she's thrust into this situation where she has to sort of see if she really has been trained and these, these, you know, these moves, this, this philosophy that she's been kind of thinking, you know, maybe I'm learning these things are put into practice. And so then, you know, the book is um, Amy trying to figure out what was going, why she's been um, caught up in this uh, to, to understand her relationship, to rebuild her relationship with her sister, all under the auspices of trying to figure out why this has been happening to her. So there's a little bit of a, of a mystery, you know, why is she the person who's been chosen for this? Why did he abandon her? Why are there no answers? So like, this is already someone who had a hard enough past and she's trying to figure out her future, but at the same time trying to rebuild some kind of semblance of a normal life with her sister. And now that that's happening, all these complications are happening. And then on top of it, there's this, this evil organization called the wheel that maybe um, is also tied up in what she's doing. So um, sounds like great genre fun. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's, it's the old world coming to the new. And, and sure. we also see that through the eyes of this young woman who grew up on the street, who has these classical training that dates back thousands of years, but also has a little bit of real life, practical growing up on the streets application to some of that. Um, and so we're trying to bridge a little bit of, of, you know, the two worlds. I mean, again, Amy um, is Asian American. She's two different cultures coming together. And so we play that a little bit through the ancient traditions coming together with the modern traditions and, and her two sides of her heritage as well. Sure. And it's, and that's, you know, and again, that's a classic story and, you know, any, there, are, there are so many people that can relate to that. And, you know, all stories, what are all stories finding who am I, where do I come from? And what is my purpose in the world? That is literally every story anyone has ever told. And if they're good. Yeah, if they're good. Right. If you forget that part, you have not written a, a good story. There was one more thing I wanted to touch on because it, it interests me from a, a point of view of presenting something like Wusha to um, a Western audience. I directed this kickboxing film in the 90s and I had a great fight choreographer, TJ Storm. Uh, I think he I think he got an award a few years ago for being the mocap Godzilla. <laughs> like in the recent Godzilla movies, he was actually the guy with the nice. dots on him being Godzilla fighting with King Kong. Amazing, amazing fellow. But he choreographed this fight that was supposed to be between two masters. And when I saw the first rehearsal, I said, they didn't actually strike one another for the first four minutes of this thing. And he said, yeah, that's how good they are. He's like, for someone who really is a master of this, it's not about hitting, it's about not being hit. And I said, that's great for people who are specialists in your field, but this is a movie for a Western audience and they want to see a punch and a kick land at least once. <laughs> like, you know, give me, give me some... You know, like this doesn't look like violence. It looks like dance. And while I would love to make the authentic movie with you, that's this, our distributor will fire us both if I hand in this beautiful scene where these men dance around each other for nine minutes and don't actually, you know, and it, it reminds me of what Gene was saying earlier about it, Jet Li's form being more acrobatic and more presentational in a way than, than, than real Wuxia might be. And I was wondering how much that affects decisions you make choreographing these scenes. Um, well, you know, here's one of the things that I think a lot of people miss in martial art and Kung Fu is there's a, a very deep connection to uh, traditional opera, to performance. Mm. 
to stage. And when you think of like the whole, uh, like Jackie Chan and right. Samuel Hung, those guys are all traditionally trained in opera. Right. Even Bruce Lee, his parents were opera stars. And within now, when we think of opera, we think of, I don't know, you know, big women with Viking helmets, right? Horns and stuff. But in uh, Chinese opera, there were always these magnificent acrobatic fight scenes. Right. Uh, really thrilling stuff, really amazing stuff. Um, and uh, that tradition, I mean, that, as a, as a, as a art form, traditional Chinese opera kind of fell, it, it's, it's dying because it takes so much discipline to train kids to be able to do that. And there just isn't that much call for it. And so what happened back in the 70s is people like Jackie and Yun Biao and, and Yang Wuping, you know, all those guys from the, all the Yuns were from the same teacher. Right. Jackie's mm -hmm. class, because that, that's why they have Yun. Jackie had Yun in his name originally. And same with uh, um, Samo. Samo, yeah. They, um, they, they all came from the same group. Um, and uh, they, instead of doing opera, moved into movies, this new genre, and really shaped how action was uh, depicted uh, in, in, that, in that period. And so there's a performance aspect to martial arts. Mm -hmm. um, there's actually a criticism documented uh, of the Shaolin Temple uh, 400 years ago by one of the local magistrates that said, oh, Shaolin Temple's staff is getting too performance-oriented because they're performing too much for tourists and stuff, which mm -hmm. is insane to think about because that's twice the age of the United States. Right. But um, <laughs> so there's always been a performance actress aspect to kung fu i, I also love that, I also love that the, the hipster argument is at least 400 years old you guys used to be cool man like now you're, now you're just playing your hits for the tourists like you know you're, right, cool right, right. Old kid. you're not you're not doing anything new that's that that's 400 years old in chinese fucking kills me that's fantastic <laughs> yeah so there's a great tradition of uh theatrics within chinese martial arts and that comes over very easily to, uh, to what we're doing with the adept. You know, I mean, it's different poses. In a way, it's kind of like, it's like Shaolin Easter eggs in that people will look at it and people that know Shaolin will be like, I know that move, I know what they're doing. And for everybody else, it's just kind of a different choreographic sensibility. Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, you're not doing the hero pose like you see, like they mocked in uh, Black Widow, right? It's, it's right. A, you know, a slightly different tone to it. And I also think that uh, you are limited by the amount of pages you have, right? So, like, like it's it's one thing for for your guy to do a four minute sequence when when you have a ninety minute film and he's thinking I can get away with that when we only give Gene one page, right? You know, he has to be a little bit more judicious about what he's choosing. Or even yeah. if you know if we give him more, you know, he he can maybe go that direction. But there's there's only so much. You know, I think that the form limits. Um, your, your freedom and your flexibility. It's, it's fascinating. Cause I just, uh, it completely different culture, but I had a conversation on Friday with a manga creator that wants to work on something of mine. And we were, he wanted to know about the pacing of American comics and wanted to tell me about the pacing of Japanese comics. And he said to me in an American, I thought this was a funny example for him to come up with, but he literally said to me, if you want to show that someone brushed their teeth in an American comic, there's one panel of a guy brushing his teeth. He's like, I can get five pages out of that. And <laughs> I was like, wow, 
that is wild. Like that's that's really fun. And again, I love that he didn't say a fight scene. He used brushing your teeth like the least exciting thing. He's like, oh no, I can do five pages of a guy brushing his teeth, no problem. Manga audience will eat that right up. And it's just finding that pacing. And yeah, American comics too. I think sometimes too often, uh, there's a reason why, uh, you know, my Kevin Eastman and the Ninja Turtles. You know, the American comics page generally averages five panels. Kevin would do sometimes 15 panels because his love of martial arts films, he's like, no, I want to see hand on stick, stick hitting stick, sword coming out of scabbard, katana going through the, I want all, I want to break it down. I want to make it atomic and see every single moment of the fight. And that's a, that's fairly unusual in American comics where they'll go, no, the sword fight, I can do the sword fight in five panels. I can get that in a page. And it's like, no, I want 10 pages and 150 panels. When you go back to like Scott McCloud's book of understanding comics, yeah. he starts breaking down, you know, the different comics. And I always thought, um, you know, it was very akin to editing, right? And he's talking about the different kinds of transitions, the aspect to aspect, the action to action. And he, you know, he goes into, and he starts talking about what's more popular in different types of comics and how the American comic is almost always action to action you know you're cutting on the punch and you cut to someone getting hit whereas the um you know some of the more the manga and some more eastern comics might go you know you go to a person's face then to the clouds in the sky then to a bird on the ground and and you're building those moments and they're creating different kinds of connections and and i do think that if you look at cinema from different mm -hmm. countries you see the exact same kind of thing in terms of the editing pattern and the kind of cuts that you get um, and, and so, you know, that's, that's also an Eastern to Western kind of view of comics and the way of consuming media <clears throat> and the, um, the connections that brains are trained to make. Um, yeah. yeah. So, now a friend of mine made, oh, yeah. made the point on Twitter the other day that, you know, everybody saw the seven samurai and it's three hours long and it's exciting as hell. And it convinced a lot of Western directors that an action movie should be three hours long. But they have none of Kurosawa's skill to make a movie that should be three hours long. They're making an action movie that should be 90 minutes at best. Uh, but they're stretching it to three hours, which is not what Kurosawa does. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, there is this other language and it's it's a language of time and money. Right. Um, you know, there is a uh, uh, this is going to be a weird reference, but um, uh, Sylvester Stallone's Cobra. Um the, the the original not cut was well, the original <laughs> the original cut yeah, yeah not not weird for me of course but the original cut was somewhere over just over two hours long and by all accounts it was a much better film it was it was it was understandable there were uh you know there were uh, thematic uh, undertones things set up you know and paid off and all of these things um, but it was going up against Top Gun that summer and uh, and they were like Top Gun is going to be a sensation we're going to get killed at the theater. The only way to make up for that is to cut Cobra to the bone uh, so we can play it, so, so we can get an extra screening per day. And so they cut Cobra down to like 88 minutes. Uh, they got an extra screening per day, um, and that was how they... And it's incomprehensible. Know. Yeah, and it's incomprehensible now, um, uh, in, in the best way. almost an avant-garde film. It's so You think a alone movie shouldn't be yeah. hard to follow and it's like <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you see that in comics also i mean it's like when i'm when i'm doing my kickstarter comics or if i'm doing a comic that i know that source point is going to release 
I can do 30 page issues. I can, I can build it out. I can have those character moments. I can do that. Um, you know, if I go to, uh, if I go to DC right now, you know, it's not even, it used to be 22 pages or, or, or don't fucking turn it in, you know, or get the hell out the door. Now it's, now it's 21, right? They, they, they threw 20. an extra ad in there. What is it? 20 now? I think it's 20 now. Okay. Yeah. Jesus. So, so you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you have 20 pages and that's it. So, um, so, so, so cut the birds, cut the, uh, cut the, cut the clouds, cut the, uh, um, you know, there, there are no John Woo, uh, cutaways to pigeons, you know, uh, doves flying, um, none of that stuff. There's not time for it. There's not space for it. Um, and so there is this language of time and money and, and, and it's weird. It, it, it has an effect. I mean, I think that like, it's, it's kind of what Avaloni was hinting at is like, well, I mean, there is something that can come from not having your hands tied at all, right? Um, uh, you can get a truly great piece of art. Um, uh, all that said, like sometimes creativity genius comes from having to play in a sandbox, uh, from having one hand tied behind your back. You find um, if you can do something perfect, amazing in, uh, in, in 90 minutes um, or in 20 pages, you're really doing something special. You know what I'm saying? You're, that, 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 that takes great skill um, uh, doing it with one hand tied behind your back in that way, because yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, Tarantino is a great study, you know, um, uh, you know, I think, you know, Pulp Fiction is, uh, is, is, is a masterpiece at, 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 at three hours. Um, all that said, you, when I watch, when I watch Pulp Fiction, sometimes I, I skip the Butch uh, segment. <laughs> and I just watched Jules and Vincent. Like, would it have been the worst thing if we cut Butch uh, that, that middle Butch part out? I, I I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while. We, we can argue that. What I will say is that I love Kill Bill's an experience. I don't think we need needed six hours of Kill Bill. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, could you have done Kill Bill in four hours? Yeah. You know, uh, well, uh, maybe maybe it would have been the best film ever made if 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 if, if Quentin was given a, a a little box to play in. I don't know, but um, and to but, bring yeah. it back to the to the adept, you know, I love that the, you know, the challenge is this is a fight that you would have three minutes in a movie, 10 minutes. And the challenge to go, I have five poses <laughs> that I can, what are the, what are the five? And this is, this is comic book making writ large is I would have a thousand, you know, frames in a movie. It would be literally 24 frames a second you get hundreds of frames to tell the story. Pick five. Right. That is a, that is a great creative challenge uh, any way you look at it. And I think it's the thing that we're all trying to do our best at. And I think it's very smart to bring in someone like Gene who will know what those five poses are. <laughs> you know, uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, you know, I've done the same thing that, that you have, Charlie, in the sense of, you know, talking about Eastman writing, I've written martial arts sequences for Eastman where I say they fight for five pages <laughs> at the end, you know, cause I'm not going to tell him how to draw martial arts. He's been drawing martial arts since 1985. He doesn't need me telling him what punch, what kick, what pose, what slap, what sword, you know, that's, uh, that's his area of expertise. And I would, I would be a fool to pretend it was mine. Um, and that's, you know, and again, there's the, you know, that's a good, that might be the good creative lesson to wrap up on seek expertise and listen to it. <laughs> you know, you do not know, no matter how smart you think you are, no matter how experienced you think you are, you do not know everything. And the best creators, I would say in any art form 
you know, how many sets have I been on where the, the craft service guy one time said, hey, wouldn't it be funny if he comes to the door at that moment and everybody goes, wow, that's, that's, really, that's really good. <laughs> that actually works. Hey, everybody, let's do, what, let's do what the craft service guy said. And that's going to be his only good idea, by the way, for the entire three months you're shooting the movie. But you're a fool if you say, I'm not going to listen to that guy just because he had the best idea. You know, I'm not paying him enough to give me ideas. It's like, no, you are, though. You really are. You know, and, and assembling, getting back to that earlier point, assembling the best team of collaborators, taking their input seriously is there's nothing that can beat that in the arts or for that matter in building a company or robbing a bank <laughs> find the best find the best people listen to them and do what they tell you um we always like to wrap up the show with what's next what do you got coming uh, i know obviously we've talked about the adept but let's be you know where people can find it how much how when what day does the second Kickstarter end, et cetera. Charlie, why don't we start with you? What do you got going on? So, so the Adept ends, I think, roughly in two and a half weeks. Uh, it's okay. on Kickstarter right now, the Adept 2. The issue is done. Uh, so as soon as the campaign is finished, it will go off to the printer. Um, pending uh, paper shortages and everything else, we'll see and you're working when it comes on out number, to the world. You're working on number yeah. three now. Is there yes. a final total number of issues you're looking at, or is this a completely open... So, so the first arc is uh, told in four oversized issues. So we, we have it plotted out for four oversized issues. Uh, each of these is roughly 44 pages. Oh, okay. Um, gives you plenty of content, um, you know, and it will make a really he healthy graphic novel at the end. Um, aside from this, I, I'm working on uh, more White Ash. Uh, I have the White Ash spin-off series, Galarian. Uh, issue two of that's probably going to be hitting Kickstarter in uh, late March, which I'm Great. pretty excited about. So. Great. And Gene, what do you got coming up? And absolutely do not restrict yourself to comic books or even entertainment properties. We're, we're interested in all of it. Well, um, still publishing on KungFuMagazine.com, still publishing on YMAA.com. Uh, all those are strictly martial arts articles, of course. I'm still course. publishing on Gun Geek. Um, which is more pop culture. So they originally hired me on to do to focus on martial arts, but because I have a lot of experience with foreign film, there, there, I've expanded. And you know, I tell you, after 20 years of writing about martial arts, it's very refreshing to not write about martial arts. Of course. Uh, uh, and uh, in terms of the adept, you know, I'm just kind of following uh, Charlie and, and Tasha's lead and where they're leading the story. And I appreciate all the props you guys have been giving me, but uh, you know, I, I got to say that. Um, in terms of this choreography, it's the fact that they lay out the beats clearly in the fight. It makes it, it makes my job fairly easy, you know, just recognizing what they're doing and what they're trying to draw from the story and then fitting something into that. Right. And Ryland, what you got going on? Uh, well, as always, you can find the Ringo award-winning Everett and the four-time Ringo-nominated Banjax uh, in fine comic shops everywhere and via Comixology and Amazon and all those uh, fine fits of business. Uh, you can find my astral projection thriller, The Jump, and my Fargo West crime drama, The Peacekeepers, uh, via my backer kit site right now. If you go to thejump2.backerkit.com, you can find all that fun there and uh, 
autographed copies of comics and rare con variants and all that stuff. It's kind of a one-stop Ryland Grant shop. So um, go check that out. Uh, my latest and greatest, uh, the trade paperback of my tokusatsu joint, uh, The Suicide Jockeys, um, is available today in fine comic shops everywhere. So go down to your comic shop, pick it up, order it. Uh, it was a hell of a ride. Um, you know, I think we're sitting at like a 9.2 on uh, comic book roundup. If you care about that stuff, it was, uh, it was well loved by the, uh, by the critics and readers alike. Um, tokusatsu for uh, the uninitiated is the, the, Jap the Japanese sci-fi action genre, um, that includes like, uh, uh, you know, Power Rangers and Voltron, but, uh, also Ultraman. What, what's that? Ultraman. Ultraman, yeah, yeah, Kaiju Fair, uh, yeah, uh, 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 co-conceived by a man who worked on Ultraman for about a dozen years. So, um, so yeah, uh, the quick pitch: Fast and Furious meets Godzilla, um, uh, Fast and Furious meets Voltron, uh, big bad monster fighting fun, but with heart and soul. Uh, uh, it is a family drama at its core. So uh, go out and get that, and look for uh, Fashang Origins from Immortal Studios uh, down the line sometime this year. So, gonna be awesome. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I it 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 comes out when this drops. It'll probably have come out last week. But I have a love story in uh, the Vampirella Valentine's Day issue, uh, which was fun, and uh, a short, a comedy short in Red Sonia, Black, White, and Red number six. Uh, the final issue of Elvira meets Vincent Price number five should be dropping. Uh, sometime in February. Uh, final issue is kind of a satire of slasher movies. And uh, got a bunch of other stuff coming up that we can't talk about just yet, but future episodes. I saw Charlie give a little smile there. Gee, I wonder why Charlie's proud when I said that. Um, and uh, we'll talk about that on future episodes. Again, thank you so much, Gene, for joining us, Charlie. And we will see Thanks, everyone guys. on the next episode of The Writer's Block. Appreciate it, so guys. Bye. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on The Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.